Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Saturday Night Live and Fry and Lori. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we are going to be discussing at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Video links are on the site and in the show notes. Joining me today are Seth Alcorn. Hello. And Shoa Appleman. Hello. I'm Andy Weld, and today we are happy to have on as guests Andrew Hall and Pete Musto from the Midnight Gardeners League. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing pretty good. Awesome. So, sorry. Hanging. Hanging. Good. Good. Now, can you guys tell us about your background in comedy and then maybe a little bit about what the Midnight Gardeners League is? So, I started um, really pursuing comedy. Uh, when I moved back to D.C. in 2013, um, I'm from here originally, but I, I lived away for a while. And um, in that time, like, I met a couple people. Like, I, I met Yoki Danoff, um, who's another Midnight Garners League member, because we went to high school together. We didn't know each other in high school because he was a few years younger than me. And But I just sort of met him through going through open mics. And he introduced me to Max, who was the, um, you know, like, he's another member of our group. and. Max was doing a podcast, ironically, with another guy who's the other final member of our group, Kevin Titt. Um, the two of them had us on their podcast, Yoki and I. And then I think Max sort of introduced you to me and Yoki and like the rest of us, Drew. I, I, I think that's sort of how we all met. Cause yeah, I think I, was, I met Kevin first because he's got a bunch of punk tattoos. And I was like, oh, dude, that's cool. I know all the blah, blah, blah. And then I started hanging out with Max because his comedy and mine was very similar. Um, but I probably started doing stand-up in my early 20s, like 21, but I was in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. And when I was there, it's a very small scene. There'd be like 15 signups and 13 comics. So if you knew the host, you could open and close type of thing. And uh, just really stagnant, and me and one other friend just tried to take it to the max. So we started hosting rooms and doing characters and, like, theming shows and doing video promos then. And uh, it's been, like, an on-and-off relationship with stand-up. But probably for the past four and a half or five years, I've been consistently doing stand-up. And then because of Midnight Gardeners League and these guys, we've kind of pushed it more into sketch, more into video content, more into any medium that we can kind of like wrap our heads around and like creatively like execute well. Cause I don't want to be Mark Marin and do stand up for 30 years and then have that be the worst part of my act. So, <laughs> mm. um, but well, yeah, I mean, it's, then you can, you can interview a president on your podcast. I mean, there are some compensations, a former president, a former president. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but yeah, his podcast got him famous, not a standup. It's like a 25 year grind. If you only have one skill, but it's better if you're kind of like just staying in the matrix of comedy, which is really, I don't think of myself as just a standup. It's definitely like more comedy, not comedian or like entertainment, right. stuff like that. Like I'm just trying to be funny in any way that, Makes sense. So is everyone in the Midnight Gardeners League also a stand-up comedian as well as a sketch comedian? Or does yeah. it mix around? And does your do your shows incorporate that? Or what's a Midnight Gardeners show like? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so to answer your question, yes. Like, everybody does everything. Max Wolfson, Kevin Titt, Yogi Danoff, they, and the two of us, we, like, we all kind of dabble in the different sort of realms, like character stuff multimedia stuff 
like a little bit of improv. Like I feel like improv is sort of incorporated into kind of like everything that we do because there's parts in which we make stuff up as they're going. But each show is like a like 90 minutes essentially of sketch, stand up, and other weird stuff. Like stuff you'd see at like if you're familiar, you guys are familiar with uh, comedy potluck. You guys had Joanna sure, on. Sure. Yeah. The stuff you kind of see there. It's just like. The weird stuff you won't see anywhere else. Yeah, but uh, when we we try to theme each show, and there should be like a different theme or a different tether for everything. So it'll either be like a kids show for adults or a night of fine dining or, you know, we're trying to found a new nation because America is like busted as hell. So we take that and then we'll do our sketches as our core group are based around that. And then the other acts we get on, whether they be video or characters, we kind of tell them the theme and kind of, you know, let them run with it. But we give them kind of like a, it's going to be a kid show. You can be the the puppeteer because you have this puppet. So just, you know, whatever you want to do with that is your thing. Um, and then we also have stand up as breaks between like this tethered storytelling. We'll be like, we're going to take a break. Someone will do seven to 10 two to three more sketches, videos, characters, whatever it may be, and then back to another comedian and then kind of close it out with a culmination of the theme kind of resolving itself in the third act. Mm. Yeah, and it's cool just like we get, we, we lo- I think one of the best parts about what we do is like we work, we love working with other people and like that's where we get a lot of those other elements from too. Like there's some people, at least in D.C. that we know that are just like really talented in a lot of just like different kinds of comedy. Like Stephen Chen, Jamie Benedict, Nicole Walco, like Alyssa Cowan, who doesn't live here anymore. But like, you know, like these people who like do cool, weird stuff that like they just want to try something out. And like that's kind of what makes each one different is because there's us. And then then there's, you know, like a lot of other people we bring in to do other stuff. Like I think in the upcoming show, we have Homeless Fire Party with these two sketch comedian guys. Um coming on hopefully um <laughs> yeah and um i don't think they said yes yeah but this yeah. is a, this is your this is a, your ask so when you hear this episode you'll know that, <laughs> that this is us asking you to do the show well let's get to the sketch do you all want to introduce our first sketch of the day uh yeah it's a recent snl sketch i think we both gravitated to it because we haven't been that impressed with SNL in the past few years. And uh, this bit really caught us off guard. It was like worth watching and worth revisiting. Um, and because of that sketch, I've actually revisited more recent SNL sketches and they're better than I anticipated. But it's. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I like, you know, Joe, you were saying that you had, had a huge disagreement with my assessment of SNL of late, but like, I mean, from my perspective, I just sort of find them just to be like, I'm not a huge fan of referential comedy. Like, like Family Guy has never was never like really like my thing or anything like that. Uh, I mean, like I think South Park does it very very well, but they kind of walk a narrow line. Oh, um, but the the bit is the molesting robot yeah. with the rock. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but I, I think SNL has just sort of I don't know. It's not. It hasn't been doing it for me for a while until I saw this sketch recently. Where did you see this sketch? So if you're not watching SNL, how did you come upon it? Uh, so well, I was gonna say first of all, yeah, there's no way I'm staying up until midnight on a Saturday. <laughs> there's like, <laughs> uh, definitely just like on YouTube. It was one of the things that was like a recommended view, and I don't know if it was like maybe Max might have brought it to our attention, or we might have just been seeing what was up, trying to 
check in with current comedy, and it might have oh. just been one of those things that. Yeah. Uh, Your friends thought this pedophile sketch is the one. Yeah, it really resonated with all of them. (laughs) And on that note, here's a clip. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll I'll speak up. Uh, It's a robot that is designed to molest children. And uh, I call it uh, Robo Chomo. Uh, You see, it's powered by solar rechargeable fuel cells, and it costs pennies to manufacture. Uh, and it can, theoretically, uh, molest twice as many children as a human molester in, quite frankly, half the time. Um, so, uh, do I win the contest? It seems like I, uh, I win. Seems like I win. Oh, yeah. my God. All right. Andrew, Pete, why did you bring that sketch today? I, like, like we were just saying, you know, I, I've been kind of out of touch with SNL. But, yeah, we were, uh, the whole group of us, I think, we're all together watching it um a while ago and just something about it really stuck out to me because it's like very kind of like in my mind traditional snl and also totally out of the like complete ballpark of what snl normally does like it does this like weird balancing act of both things because it's got a very traditional setup you know like it just kind of like here's a ridiculous situation here's three people like you know whatever whatever and even the set that it's shot on kind of looks older. It's not, it's not like one of those digital shorts that they do now where everything looks crisp and clean. It looks kind of like an older episode. And then they push it like way beyond what they normally even like are, you know, there's not, they don't normally have the backbone to do something like that. Yeah. I, I really like the, uh, the whole evil villain setup to be like the most evil invention is already such a simple softball because then you kind of see through that lens like as like a comic book fan and like a film fan. It really is like Mr. Freeze from Batman. You're like, how evil really is this? All these supervillains have these like kind of cornball things. And so even the intro, you're kind of like, oh, this this is at face value seemingly stupid. These people are kind of like silly characters. And this is like kind of like nerds in in a way that like they're unsuccessful and that's why they get thwarted. They're like silver age villains. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Silver yeah. Age villains. Well, and I mean, Bobby Moynihan's dressed in like 19th century finery. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so like, it's like steampunk. Steampunk as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what's going yeah. on, so. Uh, and, then, and then for The Rock to come out, which is also, it's funny that it's The Rock because he, he tries to make himself marketable from eight to 80 year olds. Like he's supposed to be everybody's best friend and like the hero. And like, he doesn't really, it seems like something he wouldn't want to brand himself to as being the doctor that creates a child molesting robot. And that in and of itself, you're like, Oh fuck, that is evil. Yeah. And then they just keep pushing that line and pushing that line. And I I think the rock is so great in this sketch, like out of this world, good acting the way he's so almost aloof about the way he's saying things like, well, did I win? Like, <laughs> yeah. His delivery is like very unrock like as to me, and it seemed to show some range to me. Seth, what'd you think? Yeah, I actually I liked his performance in general. There were a couple of moments I noticed that he seemed to stumble over the lines, but I think that's how they do SNL these days. Mm. But yeah, he was he was very he was very matter of fact. He was an evil scientist there to do an evil job. And he wasn't sure why no one else was going along with him, except, of course, for the shrink ray guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. Yeah, that was a great side bit. That I, yeah. I actually think it's Kyle Mooney, right? Yeah, Like, I Kyle think Mooney. he has the best performance of the whole sketch. Like, he nails that part, like, to the absolute wall. It's just like, no, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. it's just so, like, I don't know. It just seems, like, very natural coming from him. Mm-hmm. And I think 
SNL is getting really good at, I mean, they've always been good at like the three act structure of a sketch. Yep. Um, but now they're, I think they're kind of seeing that like the traditional, like third punchline is having to be more and more exaggerated. And you already take this bit that's already such a exaggerated and like dark concept. And then they out of nowhere hit you with this ad for White Castle. So it's sponsored content. So it's almost like as evil and like uh, demented and dark as the skit is, you almost everyone gets to pawn it off on White Castle and no one has to take the blame, which is hilarious. And it also makes White Castle look like, you know, it's like a grubby shit burger joint. (laughs) I I did wonder how their lawyers felt about that. I'm like, how are White Castle's lawyers taking the end of this sketch? What lawyers? They're they're fighting E. coli lawsuits. They don't have time to watch SNL. Yeah. Uh, White Castle's lawyer is just some dude like hanging out by the dumpster out back with a briefcase in his hand. He's like, they got to stop paying me in sliders. (laughs) Show one of the things I thought was really interesting in the sketch is there's almost like two different three-beat structures that happen. Actually, there are a couple of different three-beat structures, but the first is you have your two rather benign evil inventions, the shrink ray and the freeze ray. Then you have the child molesting robot. And then you have kind of once the child molesting robot is introduced, the three beats of that, which I think are introducing it, explaining how he built and got the robot to oh, molest boy. people, yeah. which is probably my, I think the best joke in the sketch. Cause it's probably the darkest and it's, Oh, it's amazing. Um, but then it goes to this white castle beat, which is like the third kind of this third extra beat. And so how does that all work within a traditional structure or breaking that structure? And how does that add to the sketch? Thank you for that softball, Andy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it works. So, just like you said, like it took a minute to set up and that was brilliant. And then they got to the joke very fast. So as you guys pointed out, they went there and they went there right away and they got Not they for asked, a minute and a half. It though. was a it was a minute and a half, but it's only like it's a four minute sketch and that's faster than some other sketches we're gonna go over. So they hit it and I think they hit something so hard that they're like, Well, we can't come down from this, so now we have to we can't escalate anymore. So we have to detour. Let's detour to White Castle. And so Is that a way to undercut the darkness of the sketch? Well, they probably undercut the darkness by just using Dwayne Johnson, who is, you know, a five-time SNL person. And you guys pointed out how good he was. I don't know if anyone else could have done it. So if you had had um, other actors up there, you might think, like, of course this person created, like, a molesting robot. (laughs) But with Dwayne Johnson, it's like, well, he, this is clearly a joke. (laughs) I think another five-timer, I think maybe Tom Hanks could have pulled that off. Oh Maybe. yes, you're right. But good would point. Tom Hanks brand himself? Yeah, to would that? he? Would he do that? You know, the, yeah. I think 1980s Tom Hanks would. Yeah, yeah. Bachelor Party Tom. <laughs> yeah, I love Mazes and Monsters. That's like Tom my Hanks favorite movie at all. Um, sorry, Part of, <laughs> but, the end no. of that shot in Simi Valley, California, which was a big surprise to me when I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I also like, the thing is like what also works like I think about The Rock in that role too is kind of also what is a problem that I've had with SNL in the past. It's funny because like, this is normally something I, I would be like, oh, this is so stupid, but in this it works. Is it like, I feel like they, maybe I'm wrong, but like they got really reliant on celebrity guests. Like the host, their their character of celebrity was the most important thing in the show. And so like, I felt like kind of that kind of detracted for me, like just like referencing, oh, this, it's this person everybody knows in this situation that's kind of weird. But like in this, it's almost like, yeah, like you're saying like, because he's this like soft, cuddly guy that everybody that America loves, like he can pull something off like this. It's like a know. subversion element, more. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's almost like like they realize that like the only way they can do this is because of this celebrity guest. But I like 
which which I can't ex- I just can't explain why that has bothered me so much in the past, and that that the opposite isn't true of this sketch. Andrew, did you think? Um, do you think the White Castle ending was like the original ending from the get go? Do you think that was something that one of the things we actually Isaiah and I, our producer, we're talking about before we uh, turn the mics on was whether or not it should have been an even darker beat and they had to undercut that or maybe standards comes back and says that. Do you think, does the White Castle thing feel to you like the intentional ending? Is it an ending that comes out of not having an ending? What did you think? In my mind, it's probably the White Castle beat was written for a different sketch weeks or months ago and then they pivoted away from it and somebody was like, but I like that White Castle note. <laughs> and then they were writing this sketch and escalating and escalating, and they didn't have an out. And they were like, what about that good White Castle bit you wrote for Emma Stone that we didn't use live? So you're like, I, because I, it works, but The Rock just kind of, The Rock's character's able to do everything, but the idea that he calls White Castle a sandwich shop is a joke, and not in line, but not out of line with that character. Because he's not playing an idiot. Yeah. Because he's playing a highly sociopathic, uh, like, evil doctor. So when he, you can lean into that because, like, a sociopath would be like, yes, let's go to the sandwich shop. And you're like, it's a burger store. You're so weird. But also that line could be written for adult. It could be written for, it could have been from a George W. Bush sketch where yeah. he's like, let's get a sandwich. And they're like, you mean a burger? Yeah, what is meat and buns? Like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it could be. Uh, I feel like it's a good pivot. I feel like it's very SNL in a good way. But um, if they would have gone much darker, I don't know if the bit would have resonated as well. How could they have gone darker? So the way, back to your earlier question, Andy, it goes, I, I think the way the sketch goes, it goes up if you're looking at a chart and then it's horizontal. Now they're just bickering back and forth about something mundane because that's the only place I can go. I can't imagine a darker spot. I I think when when they're like, how do you build a sexually a uh, m- robot that molests kids? You and he says, well, you molest the robot as a kid and hope it perpetuates the cycle. That's a big that, spike I in that pipe. Like spike. that that chart is like boop because that is like a statistical, psychological, yeah. behavioral fact. And you're like, oh my well, it's fuck. brilliant like, on two levels because that's also how you train AI engines. So um, when you're training them to <laughs> score, like, essays, you have to molest children? to teach it how you, to compute. <laughs> right, you do it to them once. You're like, hey, grade this, grade this, grade this. And then it understands and it starts grading it. And so it's, it's a brilliant line on two levels. One, technically it's a sound way to do it. Geez, I wonder if they were aware of that. <laughs> Maybe. I have oh. a question. Yes, Seth. Do we know when that aired on the original episode? 2015. I uh, and when in the when in the oh, show? Like back half aired hour. Live. I, I don't know. If it, I don't know if it was the ten to one, well, but I do but, know it was in the back half hour. Yeah, that ma- that makes a lot of sense to me. That also, it really felt like a ten to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's a ten to one? The ten to one is the usually the last sketch of the night. It's airs like at the twelve fifty slot, oh, 10 um, and it's usually the weirdest one. That's where Wayne's World comes from. It's where the first digital short came from. Yeah. Oh. Um, they usually stick the weird offbeat thing in that last block. Yeah, you know, I was like, I was just like reading about the sketch before, you know, this conversation. And I, I like, something I, I thought was kind of strange was like, there was a lot of like criticism of, of SNL for doing such a dark thing. But like, when you really think about it, like we were talking about this also, Drew, before, like before we decided to like choose this one is like, is this like, does it make going to make it seem like we're, we're at some point going to be making fun of child molestation or something like that? But the thing is the sketch never does. It, it gets dark in a way that it's like, 
this isn't dark for like darkness sake. It's taking a very dark thing and sort of being like, look how crazy this is. Like, and I, I think that's sort of like, there, I saw these just a couple of like op-eds from like, you know, three years ago that were saying like sort of criticizing. And I was like, I don't get what, I don't get it. Like this, this, it's not that off limits to me, like to say that, that child molestation is insane. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's doing, it's working on a number of levels. I mean, it is, it is critiquing the superhero ideal of, uh, villainy like right. what, what is, what's evil what is evil what makes a villain they put something uh, well somebody up there who's inarguably evil and then they show that even evil people have standards yeah like it keeps it keeps going like we're villains but we're we're not that kind of villain mm-hmm. i've actually been i haven't been able to figure out whether i like the white castle bit or not <laughs> <laughs> because it, it really does feel to me like they dug themselves into such a deep hole that they were like we will take anything to get out of this <laughs> And it's not that it's not funny. It is funny. It's just like, are you sure this is what you wanted to do? Are you sure this is how you wanted to get out of that trap that you put yourself in? But I couldn't think, I mean, I couldn't think of another way to do it and still keep the um, the subject matter of the sketch. Is there like a White Castle reference we don't know about that it's alluding to? You did point out, Sessanel's good about being topical. Is there something that was going on at the time? No, that would they would have mentioned the Catholic Church at that point. Yeah. I think that maybe like cheap shots. White Castle was riding a wave from Harold and Kumar at that yeah, point. That or something. Was 2015. Ten years but ten yeah, years ten before years. that. But Harold and oh, wow. Kumar's like, Christmas was much more recent that's than fair. that. That's true. Yeah. That's fair. I can't believe that first Harold and Kumar movie is that old. Yeah. yeah that's that was crazy. Middle middle of that first day. I mean, it would have been before How I Met Your Mother, because that's how Neil Patrick Harris got the role in How right. I Met Your Mother was yeah. um Well, I mean to the to the White Castle ending bit, I see it as more of a positive than a negative because there's no, it's comedy. And so you're kind of like, you could go darker, but does that benefit the making people laugh and like people wanting to revisit the bit? You know, so it's kind of like this ending is like, you see that they know how to go dark. You see that they know how to handle it properly, you know, like picking apart what is evil and what isn't. And like, people having standards and practices in the evil community. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you could go darker, but you also like, well, you see, we're good at this. We flex this muscle. We had multiple punchlines within that like we're tangential and thank you. We're just like, Hey, we're going to just remember we're, we're capable. You know, it's like doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, would it have been, it would have been more germane if Kyle Mooney and Sashir Tomato's characters had stood up and fired their various rays. Okay, the rock, then, yeah, but I don't know that that would have been as funny, right, as, as the White Castle thing. There's no justice served. Yeah, only yeah, only burgers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I think that that was kind of like one of the points I wanted to bring up about, like, when you ask, you know, like, what specifically you want to talk about uh, about the sketch and like how to end a sketch that you don't know how to end. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you've all been in a situation where you're writing something and you're like, how does this end? And like, I think that the thing is like, this does kind of seem like one of those situations where they were just like, what do we do at this point? But also like, yeah, I think that's, it's kind of a weird way to work something in that I think you're right. Like in comedy, like you can kind of do anything, but like at the same time, it, things do have to resolve. So I, I don't know. I, I think like sometimes we've tried things in some of our sketches, like video stuff where it's like, it like completely turns at the end. And like sometimes I'm not I'm not saying it works very often. Sometimes it does, but like very often it doesn't. And I, I feel like 
what I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about like what how do you do that how do you take if you need to, to end something with a ridiculous idea because you don't have an actual ending what do you do so i once wrote an ending that could be tacked on to the end of any sketch that i didn't know how to end and murder was, suicide well kind of <laughs> um it's like the actors kind of like they're being like kind of a lame joke to go out on the actors leaving the stage and then all coming back on stage and kind of doing this um, after school special bit like we had a lot of fun here tonight. And then talking about um, how in the Kenneth Starr report about Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky, it talks about analingus in the White House. But that's not something that we ever talk about with that, which is just pretty funny, I think. And so it's like that kind of absurd ending. And so I I always like ratcheting for more absurd. I find that to fit within the constraints of doing stage sketches, I usually end up writing kind of like da 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 buttons that I don't really love, but it's kind of like, well, this can't just go on forever. And it's a really hard question. And I find that I usually don't write with an ending in mind. I usually have the idea and I start going and I hope the ending comes to me. Um, yeah, I think writing with an ending in mind is a bad idea in a lot of cases, but I, I do think like, having an ending definitely does like it just makes it seem i don't know like crisper um i, I don't know if that's even a good word to describe it you know it, it makes just, it good yeah <laughs> it's like that's the arc of storytelling yeah. is to have the, your third act meet and i feel like if we compare this bit to stand up it's like they could if you ha get your light and you have a really good joke sometimes it's best to just be like i'm going to end on that super high laugh instead of being like oh i could probably milk two or three more jokes out of these people and i feel like the white castle bit is one of those we end on a laugh here's a laugh thank you good night and that's like the best way to end strong this podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe bad medicine dc's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. With our second sketch of the episode, it's Seth. So this is uh, from a bit of Fry and Lori. Uh, again, this one's called The Shoe Shop. And um, it's, uh, it's sort of a standard uh, customer service sketch, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and let it speak for itself. Here's a clip. I mean, I mean this. Frederica is perhaps the most popular moccasin in this brothel. Sir, well, I grant you the lining. Twenty pounds. What? You have just inserted your hand right into Frederica's most intimate interior pockets. <laughs> you cannot be expected to do such a thing gratis. But I, twenty pounds. Well, that's all I get for twenty pounds. It's just a just a feel. No, 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 no. If you want to go into the copulatorium thither with Frederica and a partner of your choice, you can source her to your heart's con. Tent. I, I see. Well, uh, as I'm here, I suppose. Seth, why did you bring this sketch for us today? Well, I love Fry and Laurie. I honestly think, and this might sound. Is this the third Fry and Laurie sketch you've brought for us? Ah, something like that. Yeah, yeah it's uh, certainly not my first, but. Um, I honestly think their sketch comedy is a little bit disregarded in light of their later career tra uh, trajectories, and I think it deserves to be revisited. Um, in this sketch particularly, 
you can kind of see where they their roots are deeply Monty Python, but then you can see where they have grown from that and they put their own spin on the um, going into a shop sketch. Um, I brought this one in because I just love the level of absurdity in it and um, also because at some point I'm going to bring in the second Mr. Dalliard sketch. Didn't we do the other Mr. Dalliard sketch or did I just watch it recently? I think this you might have just watched cut. it recently. I, I don't think we did it. Okay. Yeah. Show, what's the sketch about? Great question. I was <laughs> I watched it three times to make sure I understood. So it starts with a couple seconds of him on the road looking for a shop sign and says yep. there's a shoe shop over there. And then it cuts to walking into a store and uh, one gentleman is looking for shoes and the customer service representative is not being helpful and um, speaks to a Mr. Dalyard in the background. And eventually you find out that this is not a shoe shop in the conventional manner, but you will find great satisfaction from the shoes in a different way. That is that is what happens in the sketch. Now, what is it about, Andy? I'm sorry. I don't know if I answered that question. I'm hoping Seth can answer that question. Are we kicking it back to me? Or, 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 or yeah. Peter sorry. or Andrew. <laughs> what do you think it's about? Um, I think it's about four minutes long. It's the most British shit I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> have you all watched Fry and Laurie's stuff before? Not extensively, really. I mean, this might be like the first to third bit. I mean, none of them really yeah. super stick out to me, which is something we were talking about because we watched it separately and then we watched it together before we came over here. And it's uh, British comedy does a good job of like lacing their bits together. And because I don't really have a foundation in this show or their style, I'm, we're kind of like dropped into a bit in a way that if we had watched an episode or three or four episodes, we would be more on that British comedy rhythm. And without that, you just kind of start it and you're like, wait, what? What? Uh, okay, maybe this is what the... And then the bit ends and you have to watch it again because you're like, it kind of caught me off guard. Funny every time, but... Still, like, there's a specific rhythm to Fry and Laura. Yes. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, very, very definitely. Yeah. And I think that, like, a, a lot of the British comedy that I've seen, because I do like British shit. Like, I love Mitchell and Webb. They're like, my favorite. Yeah, I, I love like um, sketches. What's his name? Um, the Snuffbox. You ever seen Snuffbox? Oh, yeah. Snuffbox. Um, um, what's that guy's name again? Uh, Matt. Um, Matt Berry. And Matt, Berry. Matt Berry. Yeah. Like, Matt I Berry. love everything Matt Berry does. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I feel like that. What, what Andrew was saying is like there is like in British sketch shows, like there's bleed, like everything sort of like like weaves in its own world, whereas like SNL like, is more discreet, like the elements don't necessarily connect. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I agree with what he was saying a lot. Um, yeah. So earlier you'd pointed out that the the robot pedophile sketch had two story arcs going, and this sketch too. Um, Andrew pointed out that it's four and a half minutes and there's two minutes and 20 seconds of them just doing the customer service back and forth. Yep. And then at 2.20 is when we hear the joke about the shoes. So this also felt almost like two sketches to me or two story arcs in one sketch. I think, it, I think it's interesting and it, and it kind of speaks to what Andrew was saying about this different approach to sketch comedy that there is in Britain. And I think just maybe a different approach. A lot of the times when we think about sketch comedy, we think about the three beat structure. And there are other ways to approach it. And this is a more fluid, a lot of times I think with Fry and Laurie, with Monty Python, I mean, you'll see it actually a lot with Second City shows as well. Mm. It's, I know what Second City uses is a five point structure rather than a three beat structure. And the five points are your traditional um, five story beats of um, introduction, rising action, climax, denouement, and conclusion. And I think 
with this sketch, that's how I thought about it more of it's how it, you kind of have this introduction. It's the shop. And then the rising action of there's confusion. And that's what Fry and Laurie do so well is yes. confusion. Um, confusion, clarity, the climax, I think, is basically Hugh Laurie deciding that he'll take the shoes in the back. You could argue that it's a different point. And then the denouement and the conclusion come very af- come quickly after that. Yeah. Um, but I Seth, actually, what do you think? well, I was thinking that uh, I it can be it can be viewed, it can be interpreted that Hugh, that's what Hugh Laurie was looking for the whole time. Ooh. His character slides into the idea of shoe prostitution pretty easily. <laughs> that's <laughs> very true. Pretty easily. Easily seduced. Good night, everybody. Uh, I let Andrew's laces joke go, but uh, Andy, I think you're the real heel here. Oh. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he's got, a, no he's soul. got a good soul. <laughs> oh. But um, uh. Uh, it's, it's just, it's honestly that moment where he has his hand in the shoe and Stephen Fry's like 20 pounds <laughs> that whole business and he's like is this all I get for 20 pounds just a quick feel oh no you get more so who asks that you're confronted with the idea of shoe prostitution you stick your hand in the shoe and your your first question after somebody wants to charge you is wait is that all I get for 20 pounds <laughs> that's a good that's a good point yeah. <laughs> well I think it's a fair question or maybe I'm uh, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a guy who's down to fuck shoes <laughs> uh, it's important to look for a bargain though that's what I'm saying and it's got you got to get your money's worth out of that shoe I don't know cut True. rate shoe prostitute does not sound good <laughs> uh, no absolutely not well, and uh, sticking with a the theme there was a pedophile joke in this one too there was yeah. I was about to say there's like a regular this is a weird theme to brand ourselves with <laughs> so it's uh, but also that's like one of the funniest jokes to me as as far as just a, the absurdity of like having a product out that you're not even remotely close yeah. to selling. So you're like, what is the, what yeah, is the advertising is purpose yeah. here? Why is it there? No. I was going to say like the structure of the bit almost seems like it's like I've, I've been rehearsed a few times, but it seems like it came from improv where it seems like Hugh Laurie is the straight man and then Fry is just like, I'm here to perpetually confuse you and like you're going to yes and me with a confused look on your face. Like, I'm like, Mr. Deliard, and he's like, you're what? And he's like, hey, no, yeah. I'm keeping you rooted in reality. It's an absurd reality, but they do a good job of maintaining that, like, anything bizarre happening is supposed to happen and is regular day-to-day and activity. They do a number of shopkeeper sketches, yeah. and this is almost always the dynamic. Oh, yeah, because it's it's their strengths. It's playing to their strengths. Nobody does slight condescension the way Stephen Fry does slight condescension. That whole sketch is him essentially saying, you poor dear, before anything he says to Hugh Laurie. And but even then, like there's a great moment where he <laughs> he makes fun, he in character he makes fun of himself. He's like, Mr. Daliad, I've started to ramble again or whatever it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's there's just Stephen Fry is almost always going to be uh the character with the upper hand. It's yeah. very difficult to see him play a low status, or he doesn't do low status. It's like we terrifically well. Pete mentioned Mitchell and Webb, and David Mitchell always plays the upper class mm, character. Yeah. Um, and so I think you have a, a lot of that with with double X that yeah. happens. Um, is that why is that? Is that because of his accent or who he is or I, his good looks? I think it might be. Uh, I think it might be because of the way British comedy plays out. They're much more conscious of the class system yeah. over yeah, English, there. English people are like super classist. Yeah. So having well, Monty Python's whole thing is we're yeah. raging against class. Yeah. 
So even though they all went to well, like, I mean, yeah. we're all in the footlights, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So were Fry and Laurie. So were Fry and Laurie. So were Mitchell and Webb. Yeah. Or David uh, Mitchell, at least. So, I, but I, I think that's the thing is that if you have a, a comedy duo, you don't necessarily have the smart one and the dumb one, which is usually how American comedy duos shake out. You've got the upper class one and the lower class one, whether that's a, a huge jump in class or a slight jump in class, who is almost always confused whereas the upper-class one knows exactly what they're doing all the time, even if what they're doing is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. so. Or even if they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They're yeah. just like, oh, this is this is how I do it, so it's how it's done. This is what and I you're do. like, yeah. it's an authoritarian type yeah. of character. And it's also interesting to see just that the... And you see, you see this in sketches, but you don't see it in real life, right? The shopkeeper has the power, right? The, or, and he's not even the shopkeeper. He might be the shop assistant, but the, the person who's selling the thing, the person who's going to like take your order, take your money is upper class where in the States and I, not just in the States, you're going to see somebody who works a retail job as generally being lower class, but that's not what happens here. Yeah. Oh, well, I've, I have, my understanding is that in America, the policy is the customer is always right, yep. but abroad, that's not really the case. So I've been in French stores shopping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And <laughs> brag. Yeah, no big deal. But no, in Over that in case, French stores pooping. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you very much do get that sense where they're like, "You may leave now." <laughs> it's like, okay, but thank you, thank you for having me temporarily. Um, and so my cousin who grew up there said, "Oh yes, it's very funny in America where the customer is always right. That's not how it works here." Show it when Seth introduced the sketch. He called it one of the Mr. Dalliard sketches, and Mr. Dalliard is this off-screen character in the sketch, and. What are the benefits and detriments to an off-screen character? Oh, that's a great question, Andy. Thank you. Um, it, it builds tension because we're constantly wondering, like, is Miss Dal Dalliard going to come out? Uh, is that where the joke is? You're always looking for laughs somewhere. So one is it helps build the tension. And um, the other is it introduces a third character where you don't have to cast that character. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting approach so to... save money on actors. Right. And mm -hmm. so you're, you you wonder. And then there's room for humor there. So I guess I don't know what the other Mr. Dalliard sketch or if we ever do meet Mr. Dalliard. No, we no. do not. Nope. Oh, we never... Always off stage. Oh, so that's great. That's a running joke as well. So third, a piece of good humor. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels very much like if you guys have seen Oh, Hello. Um, you know, how they're kind of like poking fun at Broadway yeah. and they do like their phone bit and they're like the police, that's you. <laughs> so like you have this like, that's not just like a, a silly surface level joke. That's like making fun of the storytelling process in stage plays. Mm -hmm. And this is like making fun of the sketch process of having an off-screen character where instead of like tossing back and forth to actually have a substantial character, you're like, is there even a character? And they're like, I think at the end, you're kind of like, no, this guy's just like, talking off screen for the sake of talking off screen to point out that it doesn't even make sense when you don't hear anything back, like making fun of the idea of the invisible character as like a whole. And, and there's some uh, question as to the way they handle it, whether there is actually supposed to be a Mr. Dalliard or whether it's all in Stephen Fry's character's head. Right. <laughs> and I'd, I'd err on that side. That yeah. There's no Mr. Dalliard. Yeah. Something but the world would be a better place if there were. Um, Something, you know, you mentioned, like, the one connection of child molestation between the two, two sketches. But the, yes, there's another, you. like, <laughs> yeah, there's another um, sort of similarity between the two of these sketches um, that, like, the layering of the jokes is so dense. Like, when you talk about, like, the beginning portion of the the robot sketch, right? Like, you know, we don't even get to the Rock's character until we get to the first two characters. 
there's like a small running joke there where they're all their inventions relate to monuments. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's just like, that's such a tiny joke to like, like that's, that's really like, you know, like just one part of like, it's like only a little taste of what you're going to get later on in the sketch. Cause there's just like, boom, 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 layer, layer, layer. And like, that's sort of like the way I saw, it. that's like what I was really impressed with, with this Fry and Laurie sketch is that like, it's a shoe shop where the guy's a dick. The boss doesn't exist. The, uh, you know, yeah. it's actually, you fuck the shoes. Like, you know, um, this shoe is a child. <laughs> um, you know, like, and like you said, like, the guy's actually super into it. Like, yeah. all and those the, layers. Like, and then the shoe he goes back with is a male. So yeah, he's like, yeah. Colin, this place is full of discretion. And yeah. you're like, oh, so, it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Then they have to use the peephole. Oh, the peephole. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. the people. I don't uh, know. No, no. That honestly, that was... That was a great button mm -hmm. just yeah. because, okay, so you're in a shoe shop. <laughs> it's a surprise that there's a three-way and it's so monumental that you're calling out to Mr. Dalliard to go, so you can go perv out on yeah. this. That was, I really enjoy the end of that sketch. All right. It's time for our final thoughts on the show. Uh, Pete, Andrew, have you guys come up with a uh, rating system for the way we rate this show or rate these sketches today? Um, I would say for the evil robot sketch, we'll use one scale for both sketches. Oh, okay. oh Jesus! Um, but you, we, okay. usually the scale is only based off of one of the sketches. Yes, and oh. it, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. Yeah, oh, it rarely does. Uh, how many shoes that robot fucked? Mm. Ooh, sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Ooh. All right. Well, uh, let's start with the first one. Let's start with the world's most evil invention. So since I'm making this scale up entirely, uh, it fucked 497 shoes. 497 shoes. That's a lot of shoes. Well, well I mean, because it's twice as many shoes in half and the time. Half the time. Mm. Yeah. So uh, is that the SNL one? Yeah, that's the, yeah, we'll do, the we'll, first one first. Yeah, let's do the <laughs> SNL one, then we'll do Fry and Lori. All right, what'd you think? That seems like a good ballpark. I'd say like, yeah, it, that robot fucked 500 shoes uh, before its battery died. Yeah, which I'd, is... I, based on what you're saying, I think I'd say about the same thing. 500. That was a great sketch. I laughed really hard. I, uh, I'm going to say that that, um, that robot fucked 14 shoes. One pair for each member of the original Justice League. Oh. Mm. oh. That's good. I don't care to follow that. <laughs> but, um, I, I love the sketch. I thought it was hilarious. And um, how about so that I don't follow that, that robot fucked... Uh, some very high-end Manolo Blancs. Oh, nice. that's good. Nice. Thank you. Not that's still, good. I very fancy. Well, show us. So you don't have to follow anyone. Why don't you give the first rating for uh, Fry and Lori's shoe shop? Oh, I have to go with three. Um, three sums have always intrigued me, so it's a it's mm. a highest compliment. All right, I can give a sketch. Seth, I think it only fucked a pair, but those pair were Mister Dalliard shoes. Oh. Um. You were very happy when you thought of that. I was. I was very happy. Yes. Um, let's see. I would give it, oh, I, I don't know, um, 400 based off of the scale from before. It's. I can't think of a good joke. Uh, <laughs> how much the shoes cost? Yeah. 400. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'm going to take that joke as my own. Thank you, Pete. 
I think mm-hmm. our heads were in the same space, but I think it's a smaller amount of shoes, mm-hmm. but they're fancier shoes. Right. So I was going to yeah. say, like, maybe, like, 12 pairs of shoes, but they're all referenced in the latest Cardi B album. So you're kind <laughs> oh. of like, oh, yeah. shit, these shoes are, like, these shoes are to be fucked with or not to be fucked with. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like a dozen pair of high-end shoes. Uh, I'd say it's one large shoe that a lot of people are fucking inside of. Okay. Oh, oh, like oh the orgy like shoe. That. Yeah, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guests, Andrew Hall and Pete Musto from the Midnight Gardeners League. Guys, where can we find you online? Uh, we have a Facebook page right now. Uh, it's just uh, Midnight Gardeners League. And then we also have an Instagram. It's Midnight Gardeners. Uh, the league is not on the Instagram part, so a little notation. Um, by the time this publishes, the website should be finalized, which yeah. is the Midnight Gardeners League. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Facebook is where we put a lot of our videos. We also have a Twitter, a lot of cross-platform sharing, but most of the time it's Facebook autoplay videos and show promotion on there. So that's the best way to keep up with us. And then my handle's Andrew Hall Pass for uh, Twitter, nice. Instagram, and then just regular Andrew Hall on Facebook. All right. And I'm uh, at Try the Land Grab on Twitter. All right. Well, listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch you're interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Andrew Hall, Pete Musto, Shoah Appleman, and Seth Alcorn, I'm Andy Weld. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com.